Good morning. Hey, it's great to be with you. Um, hey, if you're out there in the lobby, let us hear you this morning. There's a bunch of people out in the lobby. Let them hear you from in here. Online. Hey, if you're, uh, if you're here for the first time, we would love to get to know you. And one way we can get to know you is by having you fill out a Connect card. You can just hit the QR code in front of you that says Connect, and you can connect with us in that way. And uh, that's really your passport into all things restoration. Uh, you'll be able to get some information in the form of a newsletter. You'll get a phone call just welcoming you and answering any questions you might have. But, but here's the most important thing. We want you to be a part of our family. We're a family here. We would love for you to jump in and consider restoration of your church home. Uh, There's something for all ages, um, but know this, we're on a mission. Uh, we're not a cruise ship, we're an aircraft carrier, which means that uh, when you say yes to restoration, it means you're manning your battle stations. You're landing here, you're getting fueled up, but then you're getting sent out. And so uh, I want you to know, if you, if you wanna be sent out, this is a great place for you to land. Uh, but we wanna say welcome, so glad you're with us. Hope you meet some people. Uh, maybe you'll meet your new best friend this morning. Or maybe not, but... Uh, so we're in Revelation chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, we've been in Revelation since September of last year. We will finish uh, in August, right before Labor Day. We're gonna finish up and we'll start something new after Labor Day. Uh, but here's the good news. Since chapter six of Revelation, which was probably around January, uh, we've been in judgment, right? We saw the seal judgments the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, judgment upon judgment upon judgment. And today, uh, uh, as, as we looked in 17 and 18, uh, we saw the fall of Babylon the Great. And uh, Babylon was not uh, just the ancient city, but it was referencing a world system that was set against the purposes of God. And, and we saw uh, uh, three weeks ago, the last time we were in uh, Revelation 18, we saw the angel take a boulder the size of a millstone, uh, this whole system was attached to it and it was thrown into the heart of the sea. And with that, Babylon is dead. And that's good news because that means as we get into 19, we're moving toward the return of this lion-like lamb, Jesus, and he's coming back to finish what was started. And that's good news. Somebody's raising a hallelujah this morning. Come on, brother. So we're moving into that this morning. But this morning, we're going to see this picture of a feast, of a meal. And uh, in, in, in the Johnson family, uh, our, our lives, number one, are oriented around food, clearly. But uh, birthdays are very important in the Johnson family. And so uh, from May to July, we're just getting hit with birthday after birthday. So May 1st, that's Abby's birthday. Uh, she was singing here this morning. So uh, uh, that's May 1st. Two days later, our granddaughter, Aubrey, uh, her birthday. Then we hit June, our oldest daughter, Allie, on the 13th. Uh, six days later on the 19th, my wife, Yvonne. And then we hit uh, July 20th, which was last week, our middle daughter, Katie. And so it's just like, bam, 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 bam. And here's what happens uh, for birthdays. You get to pick the place and we're gonna go feast. And we're gonna do it in honor of you. 
right? And so you pick the place, we go. Katie this last week chose wisely, Chewy's, creamy jalapeno, the biggest burrito I've ever almost eaten. And so, man, it's just, it, 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 was, it was awesome. But the beautiful thing is we get together and, and, and we'll laugh and we'll talk, but it's all in honor of the birthday person. Does anybody else do that? Man, and there's something that, that's exciting about getting around the table, right? You get around the table and you just enjoy good food. Man, I, I eat out pretty much every day of the week with somebody here in this room, different people all the time. And what I love is there's something really cool about sitting across the table with somebody for a meal. Because it's not just about the food. The food is almost an add-on. Unless you're at Gringo's, then it's all about the food. But, but in a normal world, it's just you get together and you're eating, but you're having great conversation, great relationship. And so when we think about this whole idea of, of getting around a meal, it's relational, it's conversational, it's celebratory, but most of all, it's biblical, y'all. That this whole idea of feasting being gathered around the table is biblical. So God's way is to celebrate around tables. So think about uh, this first meal I want to talk about was in Exodus chapter 12. Do you remember that meal? The meal was the Israelites, not yet called the Israelites, the Hebrew children are enslaved to Egypt. And the night before they are freed, they have a meal which becomes known as what? The Passover, right? And so what was the Passover? Um, they were ordered to kill an unblemished lamb, and just carve it up and eat just enough that everybody fills their stomach and then take the blood and put it over the doorpost. And when the angel of death came by, they would be saved. The, the, the firstborn of the children would not die. And so this was that first meal that God put together and the people they gathered, and what happened next? The enemy was defeated, right? The Passover meal happened, and then the enemy was immediately defeated. The next day, they're rescued from Egypt. And then a few days later, the enemy swallowed up in the Red Sea. Psalm 23, 5, the psalmist talks about it. He says what? You prepare a table before me, where? In the presence of my enemies. Right? It's this precursor. We get around tables and we feast because the enemy is about to be defeated. And so every time God gathers you for a meal, just know it is a precursor for something really good. In fact, Jesus had his last Passover meal with his disciples the night before he died. Do you remember? He gathered them together and he says, hey, listen, Passover is going to mean something a little different now. Because now as I hand you this, this is what? My body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. And every time now that you take of this meal, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. And they were feasting around a table. And what happened next? The cross happened next. He defeated death, sin, hell for all times. So every time God orients you around a table, it means something good is coming next. The enemy is defeated. And so here we are in Revelation chapter 19. Babylon's been defeated, and now he is going to bring them 
to the table, to a feast. Now, if you remember, in the upper room, the night that Jesus has this meal, in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, he says this, he says, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place, I will come back to take you with me, that you also may be where I am. We're going to read the fulfillment of that promise today in Revelation chapter 19. Let's start with verse 1. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. So he starts by saying, after this, after what? After Babylon has been defeated, after this vision, remember, uh, Revelation is a series of snapshots. And the first thing we've got to remember is that it cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. So too often we try to contemporize this and make it mean something that it was never meant to mean. We've got all these people looking at this as some cosmic cheat code to the end times. And here's the problem. The problem is it's not the point of the book. The point of the book is that Jesus is returning and that we've got to orient our life around worshiping him. So here he says, man, millstone dropped, heart of the sea. There's no more singing in Babylon. It's quiet in the streets. All industry shuts down in Babylon because they're all dead. They're all gone. No more weddings in Babylon. And it's interesting that the wedding dies there, but the wedding comes to fruition here in chapter 19. There's a holy roar that comes from heaven. Now, if you were in first century Rome and you were reading this, it'd be real easy to think of a bloodthirsty crowd in the Colosseum, right? That's talking, uh, saying, you know, kill the Christians off with their heads, feed them to the lions, boil them in oil. And so you can imagine that, that in heaven where all of these people who have been martyred for their faith, who have died on behalf of Jesus, now it would be easy to see them now crying out, saying, now crucify them. Now take them out. But this is not a bloodthirsty crowd. Rather, this is a throng, a multitude of people that are crying out saying, God, you are good. You are good. They're focused on the God of heaven and now what's going on down on earth. He has vindicated and rescued them from the hand of the enemy. And so we see this word, hallelujah, for the first time. It's gonna happen a few more times in this passage. Hallelujah, the Greek word, pray, the Greek phrase means praise Yahweh or modernized praise Yahweh. The Lord, hallelujah, say it, say it, don't let one doubt do all of you, say it again, yes, hallelujah, it means praise the Lord, y'all, do you realize that's why we're gathered here this morning, praise the Lord, hallelujah, Listen, this, this word, hallelujah, it's not owned by the Southern Baptists. It's not owned by the Charismatics. It's actually a biblical term, which means praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now see, that, that, that hurts our sensibilities, right? 
Because some of you showed up this morning to ease your way into the service and you're already like, bro, stop yelling at me, right? <laughs> Calm down. But here's the truth of the matter. When Jesus has impacted your life, you can't stay silent. So if Jesus has impacted your life, but worship is not on your priority list, you've missed it, y'all. Why do I know that? Because why were they worshiping? They were worshiping and praising God for salvation, for his glory, and for his power. Salvation. If you had no other reason to worship Jesus this morning. You can worship him because of your salvation, because you were lost and Jesus found you in your sin and he rescued you from your sin. Do you realize that? You can't rescue yourself. You can't save yourself. And some of you are continuing to try to do that. It doesn't work, y'all. And he says, listen, I have saved you. And all of heaven was crying out and was saying, hallelujah, praise be to God for my salvation, for his glory, for his power. The entire system of salvation has ultimately been accomplished. So think through this. Remember, Genesis 3, sin enters the world. And here's the other thing that we need to see uh, about the book of Revelation. Number one, it can't mean to us what it didn't mean to them. But number two, it is the final bow of the Bible. It's not this kind of uh, one-off, out-there, apocalyptic book that doesn't make sense. If you've been with us since the beginning, it keeps pointing back and pulling the Old Testament into the New Testament. It keeps saying, listen, there's a thread of continuity here. This is a love story of a God who is crazy about his people, and that's you and me. It's not what happened. It's not what will happen. It's what happens. It's what's happening between you and me today in our relationship with God. And he's saying, listen, from Genesis chapter 3 when I was broken, now I am making all things right. I made provision for sin through the cross of Jesus. And now God has stamped out Babylon. He stamped out the system that is warring against God. And he's saying, listen, it's done. And we'll see next week, Jesus return in all of his glory. Look at verse two. It says, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So true and just are his judgments. What does that mean? It means that a promise made is a promise kept by God. Now we're, we're promise breakers, right? And I know there's some moralists in the room saying, well, you don't know me. And I'm like, I don't have to because you're not God. At some point, you have made a promise that you have not kept. But here's what we know. When God says it, whether you believe it or not, it's final. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, in Christ, in Jesus, all of God's promises are yes and amen. They're affirmative and they're final. It's all wrapped up in Jesus. And he says, they are true. He is the sum of all truth and they are just. What does that mean? It means that the prostitute is getting exactly what she deserves. It's justice. A just God has to punish sin. 
Guys, that's hard. Because I'll guarantee you, there's some in this room this morning who you've got something you're hanging on to and you have convinced yourself that you're the exception, right? You've convinced yourself that yes, there are consequences for most people, but you figured out a way to avoid the consequences of God. True and just are his judgments. He has to judge sin. Why? Because he's a perfect holy God. And so if you're living in a way that you think that somehow you're gonna skate by, that you're gonna get away with whatever secret you're holding on to, know that it never works. It never has, it never will. Why? Because true and just are the judgments of God. And what's beautiful is he offers us by his grace and mercy a choice. You don't have to live that way. So if you're living in secret today, if you got something going on in your life that you're holding on to, that you're convinced that you're the exception, know this, number one, you're not. Number two, he offers you a way to freedom, a way out of shame, a way out of hiding. Also hard is that the path to freedom is probably gonna um, go right through pain because it means you gotta come clean. Not mostly clean, but all the way clean. It means that you've got to bring, we talked about this three weeks ago, right? That, that if you've given into the system of Babylon, go tell the person that you would least like to know what's going on in the secret places of your life. <clears throat> Yikes. But it's the beginning of freedom. True and just are his judgments. All is being made right. And, and then I love that it says he's avenged on her the blood of his servants. Martyrdom, yeah, that's been a theme of Revelation, right? They were under the altar in chapter 6. They were standing on the mountain, uh, the Mount Zion in chapter 14, celebrating victory with Jesus. And he's saying, listen, your blood is not in vain. And know this, if you have said yes to Jesus and you're following him, but if you're honest, you would say, man, in the physical, my life's been a beat down. Man, celebrate that. Because he's saying, hang on. Remember, the entire Bible is written in the context of suffering. It's not written in the context of abundance. So if you've, been, if you've been waiting for the abundance to come, listen, there's a good chance that abundance is gonna look different than you think it's gonna look. What if the abundance that you live in is an abundance of the heart, an abundance of insight, a joy that's unspeakable in the midst of suffering? If you can't embrace that, you're never fully going to understand the way of Jesus. He says, listen, your death is not in vain because I am taking care of all things, sin. Then look at what he says from there. Again, they shouted, hallelujah, say it. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. What does that mean? She's not coming back, y'all. This is not the incense that we just sang about that's rising up. This is death. The smoke rises forever and ever, not coming back. And what is the result? The 24 elders, the four living creatures, fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. 
Okay, so this happens in chapters four and five. Do you remember that? In the throne room, that the 24 elders and these four living creatures that are flying around, every time something happened, it says that they fell down. In chapter four, they cast their crowns before the throne. In chapter five, the lion comes in and they fall down again. I mean, they're very Catholic, right? Um, because we don't know when they get up, but all we know is something happens and they keep falling down. Glad you got that joke. Uh, so, but, but here's the bottom line. This is a picture of worship. Again, here are the 24 elders. Here, here are these four living creatures. And it says that when they hear this, when they hear that he has avenged the martyr, that he has eradicated sin from the earth, they can do nothing but bow down. What does it take for you to bow? What does it take for you to raise a hallelujah? Not with your lips, but with your life. I mean, think about the last 48 hours of your life. Does the product of your life raise a hallelujah to Jesus? Or does it raise a hallelujah to Babylon? Guys, I can think about the last 48 hours of my life and um, I know that there's at least one out, uh, one area that is unsurrendered to Jesus. And I know it's not raising a hallelujah to him. And you know what that means? It means that I'm human and I got work to do. But here's what I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be satisfied with. I'm not gonna be satisfied with the 99% because the 1% is out of whack. No, I'm gonna pursue Jesus for the last 1%. I'm not gonna be satisfied. And, and here's for you guys, you've gotta think about, man, for some of you, you came in this morning and you're just like, worship's not my thing. Uh, man, you can't sing hallelujah to God with your hands in your pockets. It just doesn't work that way. And, 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 and men, honestly, some of us are the worst, right? That, that we don't think that, that worship is manly enough, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So you're like, ah, oh, man, that's just not my thing. And yet you were on karaoke last night. <laughs> just getting your drink on and singing something crazy, right? So let's just be honest right? It, it's, it's not that you can't, it's that you won't. That you come in here and what your wife needs from you is for you to raise your hands in worship and get lost in the King and King and Lord of Lords. That's what she needs from you. She needs your leadership. That's what she wants because she wants to raise a hallelujah and she wants to raise a hallelujah with you by her side. When did it become not in vogue to worship Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? I mean, come on, y'all. Let's just, real talk, right? The church has taught us that this is a place where we stand really still. <laughs> Thank you, Sheila. <laughs> Oh, Sheila. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, think about it though. I mean, I was gonna say you go to a Texas game and cheer, but there's absolutely nothing to cheer about. Um, you go to a cowboy game and 
But, but seriously, y'all, man, we will, we will get enthralled with the sporting event. We'll scream till we're hoarse. Here's what I want you to know. Our call, our imperative from Jesus is to bring heaven to earth. That his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, which means that when we walk in this room, this should really just be an extension of what's been going on in the secret place all week long. And so individually we come and we collectively bring our hallelujah and we raise it to God full-throated. And, and, and this is a part of the most powerful movement on the planet. When we are surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ in such a way that we're like David dancing in our underwear through the city saying, listen, I'll get even more undignified than this. And know this, if you're bored with worship, if you're like, man, that's not my thing, you're going to hate heaven. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's what's going to be going on. A have you read the rest of Revelation? It's all about worship. It's, it's, it's what's cool in heaven. All right, let's move on. Verse five, then a voice came from the throne saying, praise your God, all you his servants, you who fear him both great and small. And so this voice comes from the throne. It's not God, it's not Jesus, maybe an angel, maybe one of the four living creatures. They've all spoken at some point. We've seen angels as proclaimers through the last few chapters. And so this voice calls out and says, hey, listen, praise our God, all you servants. Great and small, that made me excited because I'm small, right? So I, I get to be a part of this. <laughs> Praise him, great and small. But I love that this almost feels like a worship leader calling out to his congregation. Saying, listen, it's time to talk back. All creatures, great and small. Praise the God and look at the response that comes back. Verse six, it says, then I heard what sounded like a multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts, God's holy people. So this sound of a great multitude, this sounded like rushing waters, this sounded like peals of thunder. For those of you that came in this morning and you're like, man, it's loud in here. I need to turn it down. If that's you, first of all, welcome to restoration. Second of all, man, Look how loud it is in heaven. Man, again, if you don't like it loud, you're not gonna love heaven. It's like the sound of rushing waters, like peals of thunder, a great multitude calling out, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Great are you, Lord. And they're doing it at the top of their lungs. Now, let's move to the second half of verse seven. It says, for the wedding of the lamb has come 
and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And then it tells us, it defines it. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. So the wedding of the lamb. So what, what is that? The wedding of the lamb. Well, this marriage metaphor is throughout scripture. If you look back at Isaiah uh, chapter 54, verses five through seven, it says this, for your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty, his name is his name, the Holy One of Israel, your redeemer. He is called God of all the earth. Look over in uh, Hosea chapter two, verse 19 and 20. It says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to, the, to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. If you read Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 to 33, it's a classic passage on marriage and it talks about the idea of loving, loving your spouse as Christ loved the church. I mean, there's this beautiful marriage metaphor that is throughout scripture. And here's what we know. Jesus is returning for his bride and his bride is the church. Who is the church? It's you. It's you, it's the person in your seat, the one who knows and follows Jesus. If you know and follow Jesus, raise your hand if you know and follow Jesus. Okay, that's you. He's returning for you. How cool is that? That he is returning for his bride, the church. You are the bride of Christ. Men, women, children, both individually and collectively, we make up the body and the bride of Christ. This wedding here is a picture of a reuniting, a joining together. And it's eternal. It's once and for all. Know this, when Jesus comes back for his bride, he's coming back once and for all. He eradicates all sin for all time and he sets up and establishes a new kingdom for you and I to reign together with him. That starts next week. It's getting good. But look, it says, and his bride has made herself ready. His bride has made herself ready. Okay, so ladies, what are you doing your wedding day? You get ready. Yeah, you get up in the morning. Uh, you get your hair did, right? So, so you get your hair done, your nails done, your makeup done. You have all of your bridesmaids. It's all about you, right? It's all about you. It's all perfect. And you spend the whole day being wined and dined and everything is about you looking perfect. And the last thing you do is, is what? You put on your dress. You put on your dress and then at the appropriate time, you come walking down that aisle. And what did you do? all that preparation for? Who did you do all the preparation for? It's not for the congregation. I mean, it's an added plus when they come to you and say, you're the most beautiful bride I've ever seen, right? Has anybody ever said that? Anybody? Has anybody ever said it more than once? Yes, you did, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what we say. Oh, you are the most beautiful bride I've ever seen, right? And so that feels good. That's an added bonus. 
You know why you spent all of your time getting all made up and putting on your dress? For the groom. You did that so that when you look off in the distance as you're walking toward him, he's probably weeping like a little girl because he's like, what did I do to deserve that? And you're like, exactly. But you're going toward your groom and you've done all of this to prepare yourself. And look, it says, fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. This stands in stark contrast to the prostitute. Do you remember the prostitute in Revelation 17? She was all blinged up. And remember John was like, whoa. She looked good. Remember that? Remember that the angel was like, look away, bro. What are you doing? That when John looked upon the prostitute, she was so alluring. She was beautiful, but she was all blinged up. Probably really overdone, but, but it was enough. It covered up what was really dirty on the inside, right? And she looked really good. But, but look at this, this bride was given fine linen, bright and clean. And then it tells us what that represents. What does it represent? The righteous acts of God's holy people. Here's where we see it's figurative. First of all, we see that, um, here, here's where it breaks down for us in our culture. Who picked out the dress? Who picked out the attire? Not the bride. Jesus picked it out. She wears what was given to her. And what was given to her? These righteous acts. This beautiful picture. So here's the deal. For, for some of you, if you showed up at church this morning so you can check a box and say that you went to church, if your whole life is about doing righteous acts in front of people so that you look very Christian, just know this. If you want to know whether the righteous acts are, are, are really the righteous acts of God, the question is who gets the credit? That's a real easy litmus test. You can know whether you're getting yourself dressed or whether you are wearing what Jesus has given you to wear. Who gets the credit for your life? Is it you or God? See, the bride of Christ is dressed in the fruit of her righteousness. While the prostitute was clothed in power, seduction, sexuality, wealth, what, what's the bride dressed in? Galatians 5, and 23, in the fruit of the Spirit. The product or the fruit of her life is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. See, it's not what is going on on the outside. It is what is emanating from the inside. So that should be a wake-up call for us, right? Does your life emanate love? Does your life emanate joy and peace? Does your life emanate patience? That's a hard one for me, y'all. I, I think I'm pretty sure I'm the most impatient person I know. And it's hard, man. When things, when things aren't happening the way that I think they should, I, I just get a little freaked out. This morning I was standing in the back and that whole back half of that area um, everything was shifted over about seven inches 
And so I was standing back there talking to somebody, and I just noticed that this row was not straight. And, and, uh, and so I, I was standing there talking to somebody, and I just thought to myself, I wonder what that's like that. Wonder, wonder what happened that that's off. I mean, it's, it's perfectly aligned, but it's off. Why is it off, I wonder? Wonder why that's off. Like, what did someone move in the room that they didn't think to put the chairs back where they're supposed to be? And so I'm having this conversation, but I just can't get my mind off of And finally, uh, there were a couple back in the booth, and uh, Leanne was standing back there. And I'm like, hey, uh, what, what's with the chairs off over there? And, you know, she's like, I, I don't really know. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, it's fine. It's not a big deal. But I can't get my mind off of it. And the next thing you know, she's over there pushing them back toward the center. Of course, I joined in to help and then stood there. I'm like a little over to the, and, and I find myself just like, why does that matter? You know, a lot of us are more concerned with whether chairs are straight than whether we're living lives that are holy and pleasing to God. We get fixated on all the wrong stuff. Hey, chief of sinners, we did fix him, by the way. Thank you. Y'all look perfectly aligned right back there. Y'all, if you're on the end of the row, raise your hand. No, right here on this row. Yeah, all the way back. Arm straight, raise your hand. Just want to make, yeah, y'all are perfectly aligned. That's great. But, I mean, here's the point. What is your life emanating? The fruit of her righteousness is what she was wearing. John chapter 15, Jesus talks about it. He says, listen, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you're going to bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You've got nothing to offer the kingdom of God if you're not remaining in Jesus. Which means that there is no way you can live the fruit of righteousness that you can wear the attire that he's laid out for you if you're not in the secret place with Jesus every day. It won't happen. So don't kid yourself. Guys, this feels kind of hardcore, doesn't it? Could it be that we have misunderstood the way of Jesus? That maybe there's something higher that we're called to? Listen, we are saved by grace alone. And so many times we get to James chapter 2 where he talks about faith and works and how they work together and we're like, oh man, you're, you're advocating legalism. No, the fruit of your life is because of your faith. Because of what's going on on the inside of you, it should be the thing that drives good works out of your life. Matthew 5, 16 says, hey, listen, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify who? Your Father who is in heaven. Where the fruit of your life is him and not yourself. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the one who does not stand or walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates when? For some of us, we can't really get either one of those, right? Because we're too busy. And yet, the psalmist says, listen, the blessed life meditates on his word day and night. It's constant. It's a constant pursuit that I have put in my life the purposes of God, that I've put the law of God inside of me, and that's what's going to come out of me when the, the, the suffering comes, when the tough things come, when I'm squeezed, that's what comes out of me. 
And he says, this person, verse 3 of Psalm 1, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he what? He prospers. This is the fruit that we wear. And ultimately, the sum total is your Ephesians 2.10 calling. Right? For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. That that all of these things, um, you cannot uh, not have the fruit of the Spirit in your life as a follower of Jesus. All right? So if you're like, "Eh, I mean, I love Jesus, but... You know, I don't really love people. Okay, well, something's missing there. We we don't get to pick and choose which characteristics of the fruit we're going to exhibit. No, we just get in the secret place with Jesus and let him work it out. He'll take care of your deficiencies. he's, He's bigger than your sin. He's bigger than your struggle. And all of it together is the life that you were meant to live. And you know what that means? It means that your you-ness is gonna be lived out in a little different way than the person next to you. Because it's the calling that God's placed on your life. It's the good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. It's the clothes that he laid out for you. You can't wear your spouse's clothes. Let me rephrase, you shouldn't wear your spouse's clothes. But they're you, they're for you. They're for you. That first part was a free tip. The other one is uh, you, there, there were, there were, there's an attire that only you were made to wear in the kingdom of God. And the characteristics look the same, but the sum total may look a lot different. But who gets the glory? God gets the glory. So here's a question, how are you preparing yourself for the groom? How are you preparing yourself for the groom? Are you preparing as if it all depends on you? Have you succumbed to this whole idea that you gotta get it together? Guys, I wanna apologize to you specifically because the church at large has just beat you up and told you you need to step up all the time. You need to step up, do better. I want you to know that that women don't have a special gene that makes them follow Jesus better. It's a call to all of us, not just men, but women, all of us. To live from a center that is Jesus. Jesus, I'm gonna get in the secret place with you. I'm gonna let you define for me what holiness is gonna look like today. Because every time I try, I screw it up. I get overzealous, I try too hard, and it ends up just messing me over. So at the end here, verse nine, the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. Who gets invited? to the wedding supper. I mean, this is a new beatitude. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Who gets the invitation? Everyone who said yes to Jesus. Everybody who says yes to Jesus, you're invited. 
So, so for some of you this morning, you're like, well, I don't have the right attire. I don't have the right look. And know this, if you have said yes to Jesus, he's got it laid out for you. Just go put it on. Maybe today is your wake-up call. To say, listen, I've been trying to dress myself. It doesn't work. I need for Jesus to dress me because there's a feast that he has prepared before me. And know this, we see the wedding supper and what do we see comes right after gathering at the table. The enemy gets defeated. And so whatever's going on in your life, it could be that God wants to gather you around a table in the middle of whatever is going on in your life, in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your addiction, in the middle of your brokenness. He's bringing you to his table because he's about to do a number on the enemy. And here's the thing, are you going to come to the table? That's the ultimate question. Will you come to the wedding supper of the Lamb? So there was a king that invited a commoner to his palace for this feast. The commoner was really excited to get invited by the king. And so he showed up and the doorman opens the door and says, welcome. The king will be with you in a few minutes. Just come in uh, to this room and have a seat. And he sits him at this table and the table is all covered up. And the commoner's hungry very excited to be invited to the king's palace for this feast. And he sits alone in this room, the table's covered, he's hungry. 20 minutes goes by, 40 minutes goes by and he gets really frustrated. He's like, it's kind of rude of the king to invite me and to leave me waiting here. I'm hungry. And he smells the food, and so he begins to reach up underneath the covering, just grabs little pieces of food, and begins to eat. The food tastes good to him. So he continues to grab a little bit more and a little bit more. And over the next 30 minutes, he stuffs himself. Have you ever eaten until you're dizzy? You know, where you're like, oh, I can't eat another bite, except for this one. And, and, and this is how this guy was, man. He was so, so full that he's kind of sitting back. He has to unbutton the top button, you know. He's like, whew. And about that time, the doors fling open and there's the king. He's like, are you ready for the meal? He's like, uh, sure. He says, come with me. And he leads him into the banquet room. And there's this beautiful spread. I mean, it's glorious. The richest of foods. And now he's looking like, uh what just happened? And he sits down and the king begins to eat and he cannot even look at the food. He's so full. And the king's like, uh, did you eat before you came? Uh, not, a, not exactly. Well, is, is my food not good enough for you? True confession. In the other room, uh, I thought that was the banquet room. And I thought that was what we're eating and I've been nibbling off of that food for the last hour. Sorry, I don't mean to offend you. He's like, yeah, come here. And he walks him into the room and he unfolds what was underneath that. And it was old, spoiled food that had been sitting there for days and had not been cleaned up yet by the servants. 
he had gotten full on the junk and he missed the feast. See, for a lot of us, we're, we're nibbling on the, the table uh, of Babylon. We're nibbling on an old system. We're hanging on to these old things. We're wearing old attire. And the king is like, I've laid out the clothes for you. I've invited you to this feast where you can have the best of everything. All I'm asking you to do is get, get dressed and wait on me. Because here's the bottom line, I've got something for your marriage. I've got something for the addiction that you can't seem to get away from. I've got something for your deep identity issues. I've got it all for you. All I'm asking you to do is come get dressed and wait on me. He's been saying it since the beginning of Revelation. He's saying, listen, I'm coming. And then he says, stay ready so you don't got to get ready. was never up to you. Stop striving. Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted over all.